no better way to start off our morning than uh, singing that song that just proclaims Jesus over death and sin. It's amazing. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. You may be seated. now, right? Good morning to each of you. If you are visiting with us, my name is Jeremy. I'm the senior minister here. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your Sunday morning to join us here at South Union. And if you're watching online, thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy day to uh, join us from wherever it is you might be joining us. Florida, Tennessee, Bedford, North Lawrence area. I mean, I don't know where you're joining us from, but thanks for joining us uh, and being a part of our Sunday morning. We are in week two of a series called Person of Interest, looking at individuals in the gospel that Jesus interacted with and trying to figure out the significant reason why they were a person of interest to Jesus. Um, this was probably back in 2014, 2013-ish. Uh, I was a student council advisor for a high school when I lived in Arizona, and they were hosting the state convention which meant all of the area student council for the state of Arizona, they were going to send 10 or 15 kids to this convention, and over three days we're going to kind of talk about leadership and student council and how to, how to develop them as leaders in their schools. Uh, and I was in charge of booking the entertainment, and uh, strangely enough, and the more you get to know me, you'll probably find this out, um, I know a lot of interesting characters, uh, and have a lot of weird connections to, to random things. A friend of mine from high school is actually uh, spent a, a large part of his, his 20s uh, as, a, uh, as an up-close magician and mentalist. And so uh, he actually even did a little bit of a stint in Las Vegas uh, as a performer there doing close-up magic. And so uh, I hired him. He came uh, to, the co to the convention and he's like, what do you want me to do? Um, he was performing on stage on Saturday. He was like, I'm going to fly in on Friday. What would you do? I said, well, you just walk around and just blow people's mind with the magic that you do. He's like, I would love to. So there's like 3,000 high school kids that are attending this convention. And so I was like, I'm just going to walk around with you because it's fun to watch uh, him perform. He's really good at what he does. And we would take him to one group of people, and he would just walk up to an individual and be like, you know, the typical, like, all right, just stand a card. You know, just take one. Make sure everyone sees your card. I don't want to see, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and then, like, 45 seconds later, he would be like, actually, I think your card is in my shoe. And it would be their card. And it's like, I, I physically don't know how you just did that. And so he would do that one. And then people were like, that's crazy. And then a few minutes later, there would be, like, 30 more people. And now there's a huge crowd as he's doing another one. Then we leave that spot, and he would walk over to another area, he would do a different one, and there would be a different crowd that would be drawn. And so we did this for three hours walking around during these free times, and I got to watch him do what I would assume was like his whole bag of tricks, which was very, very impressive to watch him do it. And this whole time, I'm like, you're from Washington, Indiana. 
I know there's something up. I know what's going on. I don't know what's going on, but I know this, you're just a normal person. So this is kind of crazy how all this works out. And so as we were walking around, it was like we would, we would go somewhere, and then he would do something, and then people would be impressed, and then they would just like start to funnel in, and then we would leave there and go and do. And this, this is kind of the setup for how Jesus did his earthly ministry in the three-year window that he did ministry. He had this kind of pattern that he would travel to a place, he would talk a little bit, he would do something miraculous, and then more people would come around, and then he would then talk a little bit more, maybe do a couple other things, and, and he would lay out some spiritual truth before them. And our person of interest this morning is actually persons or people of interest, because we're going to look at the story of a set of sisters who interact with Jesus while he was on his travels and what happened with them and why they are people or persons of interest for us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Luke chapter 10 is where we will be at. Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting with us, there's probably one underneath your seat or around you. Or you can simply just read on the screen because it'll be up there. Or if you want your own Bible to take home, a study Bible, we have those. And uh, just come find me after service and I'd love to give you one of those for free. So that you can have uh, a copy of God's word uh, whenever you leave church and you go home. So here we go. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. And it says this. It says, while they were traveling. So this is Jesus and his disciples and probably a bunch of other people now that are following him because he's picked up his ministry. Uh, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, this happens quite a bit, actually, to Jesus as he's traveling. People will hear about him, wait for him to come into town, and then they will invite him to come and be a part of a dinner or a supper. They want him to be involved, so they offer hospitality to people uh, whenever they come in. This is a common uh, thing, a part of their culture. And so Martha is probably accustomed to doing this. She probably had a space to be able to entertain people. And so because of that, she invites Jesus and her disciples, the people that are following him, to dinner into her home. Verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. I want to pause there for a second. How many of you grew up with siblings? Raise your hand. Right? Let me ask you another question. Are you that sibling or is your other sibling that sibling? You know what I'm talking about? Because here's what happens, right? Because we're, we're not, these are not fictitious accounts, right? Just made up as stories. This is an account of two people running into Jesus, inviting him to their house, and we got two siblings, two sisters, and I don't know who was older, but I think we can take a guess as to who was older of Mary and Martha. And, and Mary's just chilling, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And Martha's running around doing all this stuff, making sure the house looks good and dishes get cleaned and the food gets served. And nobody loses their coat. I don't know if they had coats, but nobody loses their coat. Everything is going on. And she's like, hey, uh, I'm kind of the only one doing stuff here. Jesus, could you tell her to do something, please? And here's what's fascinating, because I think that in the room, there's probably, there's probably people that more identify with Martha 
And there are probably some people that maybe identify a little bit more with Mary. So in the uh, spirit of divisiveness of finding where everybody uh, is at, how many of you would say that you are 100% without a doubt, I am a Martha type person, everything's got to be done in a certain particular way? It's all right, just raise your, there's no shame here. I just, you know, I just want to see how many of you are, you know, would say I probably lean towards the Mary side of things. Like there's not a lot that really bothers me as long as people are around and hanging out. All that stuff can wait because I got people over here. Raise your hand if you are, if you are that person. Yes. Raise your hand if you've been converted to be like the other person because your spouse over time has converted you to that. Raise your hand. That would be me. Uh, I've been converted to that because of because of my wife making me a better person. So uh, I've been converted to that. And listen, here's what I love. Because these are accounts, these are stories of real people, you can find a bunch of us in different places in this story of Mary and Martha, these two sisters. And I'm sure this is speculation, but this probably isn't the first time that they've had a little bit of squabble about who's supposed to be doing what and what's supposed to be going on. She looks at Jesus and she says, would you please tell her to help? And, and we, have these, we have these two different attitudes because Mary sits at Jesus' feet and Martha says, I'm doing everything, she's doing nothing. She needs to be doing something. She needs to be helping out. And Mary sits at his feet. And here's what's significant about what happens here sitting at his feet. It's this, it's that, not only is she sitting at his feet, but what she's doing is culturally different for them. That when it says that she sits at his feet, what she means or what's actually happening is she's taking a position and a posture of learning and a spirit of humility and a humble heart. So much so that during those days, whenever a rabbi was in school, and he had graduated, and he was, he was someone who could be trusted and could be learned from. When the, when the rabbis, the people who knew a lot, whenever they would find someone to learn something from, wherever that person was sitting in the room, the rabbi would go sit at their feet as a representation of, I have something to learn, and I'm not on the same level as this person. And so while... Well, what seems like Martha is saying, she's doing nothing and I'm doing everything. Well, what's actually happening is, well, Mary is actually doing something. She's humbling herself. She's listening. She's tuning in to what Jesus has to say in a way that, that communicates and is mimicking what the rabbis at the time would do. It's like, I am here to learn. I'm in a different level, a different position than what these people are. And so I want to focus in and learn. It's kind of like... Um, you ever uh, seen or, or been a part of story time for like uh, elementary age kids where it's like they want all the focus and the attention not on all the things that are going on but the teacher will sit here and they'll all sit around on the floor for the teacher to present and read this is the moment that's happening except for the person that's reading and talking and giving the content is not a kindergarten teacher but rather it's Jesus who they've heard about his travels and his teaching and his miracles and she's absolutely just glued to what he's saying. Because they know there's a reason they've invited him in. They have this thing. Uh, my friend Daniel, who is the, the street musician, uh, on Saturday was the, was the big day of our conference. He did his whole thing on Saturday night. I actually got to speak at that conference as well. Uh, and then on Sunday evening, I drove him down to Phoenix to uh, the airport 
But before, before we left that morning, we were hanging out, and he goes, hey, so you got to watch me do all my tricks you know, on Friday? I was like, yeah, it was sick. He's like, do you want to know how I do some of them? What do you think my answer was? Yes, 100, of course. Yes, I want to see how you do some of them, right? And, no, man, it's fine. Yes, we all want to know, right? Everything's like, how did they do that? And so he was like, all right, let me show you like the five easiest ones that I know that I did most. So, and he literally broke down how he did these things. I'm going to be honest with you, some of them are not as impressive. Uh, when you actually know what's going on, it's like, really, that's, that's it? And someone was like, that's crazy, a bunch of technology that exists. Uh, one of them was the number of cards that were pulled out each one of the cards had a sensor in it, and there was a vibration ankle bracelet that he had on that the number of the card would vibrate on his ankle when it was picked. Wow. Well, that seems like a lot, but it looked cool. Like, that was, that was awesome. It worked every time. So your little ankle bracelet vibrator thing, that's, it's working great. So good job. Um, but when I saw, he was like, do you want to know how this is done? I'm like, yeah, of course. Of course I do. And when he was showing them to me, I mean, there could have been people fist fighting in the background because I had no interest about anything that was going on. I was so focused on him explaining how things were going. I was just like, this is amazing how this works out. And this is why Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus because she's heard about him and she knows the things that he can do. And when she starts talking, when he starts talking, she goes, yeah, I want to know how this is done. I don't care about anything else that's going on. I want to hear from Jesus, right? And Mary is absorbed in what Jesus is talking about. And Martha files a complaint, and she gets an answer that I don't think she probably wanted to hear. So let's read uh, the rest of this, verse 41. And the Lord answered her. So he gets interrupted, <laughs> and so he turns to her, looks at her, and says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, Martha. No, just kidding, that's Marcia. Um, kids, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents about what that is and they'll explain that to you uh the lord answers and says martha martha you are worried and upset about many things but one thing is necessary mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her verse 41 could be some people's life verse let, let me let me read it again Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Right? That's where, that's where a lot of us operate on a daily basis. I've got this and this and this, and oh my gosh, I'm worried about if, if this person does this, and how will that affect this person? And if, if I don't pay this off, then how will that affect this? And oh man, I heard that my friend had this happen, and I know that that happened to me, and I remember I had to go through this, and they're going to have to go through this, and just all of our days for whatever reason or at least in seasons of our lives feel like there could not be a better descriptor of who we are inside than when jesus looks at this woman and says you are worried and you are upset about many things and sometimes when you're worried and upset about many things things that don't seem like things that aren't actually that big of a deal become a little bit more inflated and we see that in the attitude that martha has that she's doing nothing and i'm doing everything tell her to help me you're worried about many things and you're upset about many things but one thing is necessary and the simplicity please listen to me 
because simplicity is often opposite of how we live our lives. Not because we don't want to, but because everything demands our time and our attention and our energy. And when she comes to Jesus, she says, you're so worried and you're so upset. But there's this one thing that's necessary. And Mary's found it. And I'm not going to take it away from her. You're worried about all these things. And Mary has figured out that the one thing that is important is that she hears from me. The son of God. From Jesus, right? The simplicity that Jesus is talking about when he says one thing simply does not compute to Martha and for people that are in Martha's circumstance and situation. Because Martha sees all these other things as priorities that need her time, attention, and energy. And that those things are of the utmost importance to her. And in fact, here's the trap that I think a lot of us fall into. And maybe, maybe you're not like me, and I hope and pray that you're not. But this is the trap that I fall into all the time, is this challenge of doing versus being. Let me say it again. Doing versus being. That I feel like... It's a badge of honor to be as busy and as doing as many things as I possibly can. I mean, in fact, here's like, here's where we are in the world, right? Hey, man, how's it going? Good, keep them busy. What? I didn't ask you how your schedule was. But that's how we answer it, right? Isn't that how we answer it? Oh, how's it going, man? I haven't seen you. How are things? Good, just busy as ever. Okay, well, that's weird. It, when, when I was doing youth ministry, uh, we would get together, and this is kind of a, a pastor thing that happened. Like, man, how are things over at the church? And you're like, good, we got 85 kids coming on Wednesdays. Okay. But I asked you how things are going, not how many kids are attending. Like, if I asked you, hey, how's your family? Doing great. Got a wife and two kids. No one would answer that. Be like, why are you telling? I know that. Why are you telling me that? I'm asking you how things are in your family. But for some reason, whenever someone asks, how are things or how are we, because of the culture we live in, the standards that we've set, man, how are things? Good, keeping busy. Working hard or hardly working, right? For whatever reason, ingrained in us is this idea that busyness is a badge of honor. Doing everything. Making everything of the highest priority is somehow a badge of honor that we get to wear because it means we're more valuable or have more worth or are more important because we're doing things and instead of just being because being, just being present seems to be the emphasis of Jesus, which is opposite of how we live our lives. Jesus is like, no, there's actually just one thing. And Mary's figured it out, so I'm not going to take that away from her. Because doing seems more honorable sometimes. I mean, I, there were times when, when growing up, my mom, I don't know that I ever saw her just sit down while she was home. And it's, I mean, raising four kids on her own with sometimes with three jobs, and then when she did, she felt like she had to go be out and, and do things. And I just, if I could go back and give my mom any gift in her lifetime, it would be that she would just be allowed to be for a few minutes. Right? And here's the thing. Some of you are like, how did you get a copy of my mail? And how, why are you reading it from stage right now? 
because this is me, right? This is all of us. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or if you hate God or if you're uninterested in God. This is how we have let our life be permeated. And it's not like scripture doesn't talk about it. In fact, Jesus directly addresses it 2,000 years ago. You're doing all these things and you're upset and you're worried. Here's just one thing. And when he says one thing, right, it's here's where it gets sticky because our decision to be busy and be, to feel like we get our value and our worth uh, and, and we get to have this badge of honor by how much stuff we do and how good we look to other people, here's where it gets a little sticky is because sometimes, a lot of times, that whole mindset gets translated back into our faith and our spiritual life, right? I got to do this. I got to do this. I have to give. They want me to come and volunteer. They want me to do this. I don't have a spare hour of time, but somehow I'm supposed to read the Bible. I'm supposed to spend time in prayer. I'm supposed to join a small group. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. And I guess if I do all those things, then I'll feel good enough or feel valued enough or feel worthy enough to be able to live up to this label or this standard or this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. And these checkbox lists of things that you have to get done is the very opposite of what Jesus desires from us. The mindset that Martha operates in, that we operate in when we get to those moments is all about religion and how good we are and how good things we can get done. And Mary's approach to Jesus is the opposite of religion. It's about a relationship. And she's just gonna be in the presence of Jesus Whenever she gets the chance to. And this phrase that he, that he uses, or uh, he, he says, he says, but there's just, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Let me, let me read for you, because it's an interesting phrase that pops up a few times throughout Scripture. I just w- want to read it for you from uh, a couple different passages. Uh, Psalm 27 talks about in the Old Testament when they're, they're talking about uh, random things that are listed off in Psalm. It says this in Psalm 27, verse 4. It says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I have asked one thing from the Lord that all the days of my life I could dwell you know what's required for you to dwell somewhere? Long-term proximity and placement. You have to be in that spot for a long time to dwell. And it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has everything to do with who you're in front of and where you are because his goal is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And that's exactly what Mary does when she's sitting at his feet. To be able to stare at and hear the words of good news that she gets to hear uh, from him. Philippians, we just did a whole, whole six-week series on this. And you might even remember this. In uh, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says this. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Right? There's, there's another part of this one thing. I'm not focused on anything that's in the past. I'm going to focus on what's forward. My goal is to dwell, to be able to see the beauty of the Lord whenever I look into his face. 
and then in Luke chapter 18, verse 22, he says this, when Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing. So all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this one thing, get rid of this thing that seems like it's bigger than me. And when you do that, you'll be focused on me. That one thing, some simplicity that comes along with it. So can I just encourage you this morning as we look at who our persons of interest are, that the one thing that we have to do myself included, the one thing that we have to do is we have to make Jesus the priority in our lives. It's really simple. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. You've got all these things and you're worried and you're upset about all these things, just, but Mary's got it right. And you've got all these things going on in your life. You've got kids you've got to drop off. You've got work. You've got all these check boxes of things. You have uh, decisions you have to make about your future. You've got a job and all, the, all those things. You have all those things going on. And Jesus probably is just wanting you to go, hey, there's just one thing. Me. Our one thing. Our one thing should be to make Jesus the priority in our lives. And Mary, Mary is our person of interest in this regard this week because she makes her relationship with Jesus the priority in the midst of the chance when she could have made something else her priority as, uh, as exhibited by Martha. But here's what I love about this passage and why Mary is our person of interest beyond that. And this is, I'd, I'd like to apologize for this. This is a little bit Bible nerdy of me. And so if you're like, you don't like to push your nerd glasses up when reading the Bible, you might not like this, but I love this. This is why Mary is our person of interest, because she is the definition of what Jesus talks about while he's traveling. If you have your Bibles, you only have to go back just a few verses to uh, 25, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. It's really simple. The parable of the Good Samaritan, an expert in the law, stood up testing Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Meaning, what's your interpretation of it? How do you summarize it? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments summarized into two sentences. And here's what's fascinating. The next story that Jesus tells is what? Look in your Bible. What is it? What's your say? What's your heading say? Mine says the parable of the Good Samaritan. How do you read the law? Love the Lord and love your neighbor. And then Jesus tells a parable about how and what it looks like for you to love your neighbor. And in the very next city that they go in, Jesus goes into a house and he gives us a great, perfect, sterling example of what he's talking about when he wants for us to love the Lord your God. By seeing Mary sit at the feet of Jesus and not worry about anything else. And so two direct passages, he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. He says, let me show you what love your neighbor looks like. And then just a few verses later, in the next town, we get to see what love the Lord your God looks like. In the gospel narrative, and this is why Mary is our person of interest, because she is an example of what it means for people to love God. 
by saying, I don't care where all my other priorities are. Jesus is my priority. He's the priority in what's going on. So let me just ask you, what does your life look like? And how or what does it look like for you to make Jesus and your faith in Christ the priority? And for every different individual person that's sitting in here, there's a different answer to that question. Whether you are not a Christian or if you've been following Jesus for a long time or if you're somewhere in the middle and you're trying to figure out what's going on and what you actually believe and, and how to follow Jesus, wherever you're at in this journey of trying to figure out who God is and how you're going to live your life for him, what does it look like for you to make him the priority in your life? To make him priority number one. What does it look like for you, those of you that are married? What does it look like for you to not be worried about all the things that come along with a marriage, but for you and your marriage to make Jesus priority number one? And then your family, those of you that have kids, or those of you that maybe have kids that are a different phase of life that are in college or, or out of the house. What does it look like for your family, for you to have a family that makes Jesus priority number one? What do, you, what do you have to do to make that happen? For Mary, it's very simple. Mary's way of making Jesus priority was she chose not to do something else so that she could do this. What does it look like for you and the decisions that you make? What does it look like for you to make Jesus priority number one in the relationships that you have with your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and the people you casually see? And what does it look like for, for you to make Jesus priority number one with your schedule? And what you do with your time. Because in our marriages and our families, in our decision making, in our relationships, in our schedules, in every area of life, we have so many things that we could make a priority. But there's this one thing. There's this one thing. And that's make Jesus the priority in your life. And when you do, you will be fulfilling the commandment, the first one that Jesus lays out that's listed off, love God. And it could be just as simple <laughs> that loving God just means in every area you just make him a priority first. And that's the foundation and the start is loving him. And in fact, Jesus even modeled this, that in loving God, it meant doing what was his priority over what he wanted and it's best represented in what we celebrate every week as communion, but it is best represented in the cross that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is arrested and crucified, when Jesus is just in the thick of it, going through all, all of the things that are happening in the garden, Jesus stops what he's doing and he says this phrase, if there's any way that you could, could take this from me and I don't have to go through this, do it. But your will be done. I, I have things, Jesus, Jesus is literally getting ready to be led to his crucifixion and he knows what's coming. He knows what the future is. And he says, but I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That's the priority. And, and when he did that, he made me a priority. When 
when he did that, he made every single one of you sitting in this room, or if you're watching online right now, when he did that, he made you priority number one by laying down his life for forgiveness of sins and for grace and mercy that is available to each of us every single day. It is crazy to think about the person who put the stars in the sky and created the sun and everything that we can see that we have no idea how it works made us a priority by what happened on the cross. So this morning, we're going to give you some time to worship and to sing songs, and I'm just going to spoil it for you. Uh, the lyrics in this song we're going to sing after this is, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. And so this morning, before you check off the box of taking communion, maybe for the first time in a long time, you just need to sit and be still and be present in this space to hear from Jesus. So if you need prayer this morning, I'll be sitting right up here. I would love to pray for you about anything that's going on. Communion is up here, is available. There's space for you to be in prayer up here if you would like to. But this morning, I'm asking that you would simply make Jesus a priority in these next few moments to simply sit at his feet and worship him. So God, we come before you this morning, and that's it. We come before you. Knowing that in, in a lot of our ways in our life, we're not good at that. But that's what we want to be this morning. So I pray for, for every person in this room that they would be able to simply do that, to sit at your feet during some time in prayer, turning their hearts and their minds on you. And we thank you for the cross, how you making us a priority and choosing to do the will of your Father when you were crucified for us. We thank you for that sacrifice and we celebrate that the tomb is empty. That you made good on your promise. So we give you these next few moments as an act of worship. Say thank you and that we love you. In your strong name.